Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, listeners. This episode is available in its entirety to our fantastic members that support our work. Members receive access to exclusive content, an ad-free listening experience, access to transcripts of our episode, an invitation to join our members-only Slack community, and more. If you become a founding insider, you'll receive a Deep State Radio face mask, a signed copy of David Rothkoff's book, Trader, and exclusive access to our new weekly audio feature, Deep Thoughts by David Rothkoff. To become a member, visit thedsrnetwork.com and click Membership Levels. For a limited time, use code SUPPORT at checkout and receive 20% off your membership. Thank you for listening and enjoy the preview. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to another of our special Ask the Blob episodes when we talk to people from within the blob, uh, which is to say the national security and foreign policy community, and enable you who are our members to pose questions directly to them. Well, almost directly, you will go to the little Q&A box at the bottom uh, of this if you're participating in the webinar and you will type in a question and I will relay it to our guest. Our guest is extremely familiar to all of you because she is one of our founding regulars around here. Uh, It's Rosa Brooks. And uh, as all of you who follow Deep State Radio know, Rosa has a great new book, brilliantly reviewed and for good reason, called Tangled Up in Blue, which tells uh, the story of Rosa's time as um, an officer on the uh, Washington, D.C., Metropolitan Police Department and uh, uh, manages with great deftness to weave together um, a a really fascinating uh, account of her time on the force, which typically for Rosa is uh, also from time to time very funny. Uh, and, uh, And weave that together with some big questions about policing, which of course, is a big issue for the United States right now. Hi, Rosa, and congratulations again on this book. Thank you, David. Are you beginning to relax a little bit, given that the reaction has been really good? Yeah, I'm beginning to relax. I, you know, when the book comes out, as you know, you're sort of waiting for various shoes to drop, and and you don't know whether the reviewers are going to trash it or praise it. Um, so once you get a good review or two, you go. Whew. That's that vote. Well, in this in this particular case, I don't think there was really any chance, um, but that you would get um, a great response because it's truly a great book. And as somebody who's written a lot of books, I have to say I had the sort of the ideal reaction to it, which is I couldn't put it down, I couldn't stop reading it, and every couple of pages there was a phrase that was so well turned that it depressed me greatly. 
that I was unable to write that way. Um, that's good, I guess. No, no, that's no, no. It's 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 a it's a very good book. So I'll ask you a couple of questions about the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we go with these things, I, I encourage the folks who are uh, listening, participating in the the webinar portion of this thing to pose questions in the Q and A, and I will relate them to you. But this is a chance to hear from Rosa um, about the book or anything else. Uh, that you that you're interested in, I, I hardly know. I, I hardly know where to begin. One of the things that struck me, because I've known you for many years, about the book, is that there is this kind of memoir quality to it. Not just your time on the force, but sort of Rosa growing up, Rosa and her mom, Rosa and her dad, Rosa and her brother, Rosa at school, Rosa and the kids down the street. Um, which was just, you know, fast, fascinating for me. But when you put it all together, it actually does lead you to a place where, you know, a uh, t- tenured Georgetown law professor with high um, government positions and, 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 a, and a great deal of visibility as a commentator also becomes a cop and goes through school it it's it's it it it, it kind of makes sense um in retrospect i mean your family seemed to be a little bit uh, have a hard time adjusting to it uh in retrospect do they think it now makes sense yeah i think they came around um it took a while but they came around in the end your motivation to do this uh as as described in the book starts out to be um, interest combined with, I don't know, searching for a little bit of excitement or change of pace in your life and ends up evolving into, you know, a desire to write about something that's a big issue in the United States. At, at, at what point did the penny drop for you and you said, I, I need to write about this? At what point was it that you said, there's, there's something important here that I can add to the debate? You know, um, I'm going to give you a, a, a really unsatisfying answer, which is that I first said I would write a book because my agent was putting a lot of pressure on me. <laughs> and she was saying, you've got to write about this. And I kept saying, oh, you know, I don't really know what I'd say. So um, and then she was saying, you know, you got to write about this before everybody forgets about your previous book, because then you won't be able to, get a, to just strike while the iron is hot. And and so I somewhat ambivalently came up with a book proposal, um, which was then accepted by, by Penguin, my publisher. And then I was stuck. And then I, then I was like, oh shit, now I have to write a book for real. And I did not know what I was going to write. And I really struggled. Um, and, and I think I say this somewhere in the book for a while, I kind of thought, well, you know, I will write the scholarly masterwork on everything that is wrong with policing and how to fix it. And, um, you know, I kind of made a few vague gestures in that direction. Um, But the combination of my um, lack of uh, aptitude for things that require lots and lots of research um, with uh, realizing, I don't think I add anything all that new. There's, you know, there've been some terrific books about policing and the criminal justice system. Some of them written by my colleagues at Georgetown, um, um, like my colleague, Paul Butler's book, Chokehold, Policing Black Men. uh, and I thought, I don't really think I have anything particularly new or interesting to say on that front, but 
I began to realize, and it, it, it took a while to evolve. It was actually a really hard book to write in some ways to sort of realize that the one thing I, I thought maybe I could add that was relatively unique was, was just stories of what this is like day to day from the perspective of somebody who had a foot in the policing world, but also obviously a foot, maybe a foot and a half if I had two and a half feet um, in you know, the world of liberal elites as we call them, you know, policy types, academics and so on. And so that's in the end is what I did. Yeah, I, I think you, you downplay uh, the, 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 what is unique in this contribution you know, sort of in a way that's a little unfair on yourself, because, you know, we're at a moment in this debate where it is incredibly fraught. We've come out of a year where there was, you know, a major movement around this idea of defunding the police, uh, a national debate around whether the police departments were uh, homes to institutional racism, case after case of of, of abuse by the police. And yet at the same time, you know, there is this kind of deep desire and need to have uh, folks, you know, sort of on the front lines assisting with providing law and order. And in other words, the debates become extremely fraught, but it's lost its humanity. You know, it's we've lost yeah. a kind of a, a grasp of who these people really are and what the nature of, of the life of, of, of policing really is. And, yeah. and you capture the good and the bad of it. It's, it's incredibly a human story. I really felt like I was sort of going out on these different um, uh, shifts with you and, you know, that I was stuck in the bathroom with you trying to figure out how to oh God no pee in 30 pounds of police gear, which, which I, I found the only thing that would have been worse than being stuck in the bathroom with 30 pounds of police gear would have been stuck in the bathroom with 30 pounds of police gear and you, David, <laughs> not, yeah, not no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I th thank you. But th that's the advantage of a book is, you know, you, you, you have, you know, this, it, there is a great eye for the detail um, of what's serious and, 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 and absurd in all, in, in all of this. And, uh, you know, it, it helps put some perspective on it. Cause you know, on the, on the one hand, when you get to issues that are incredibly inflammatory, like institutional racism, you saw a lot of that. I mean, it was, it was there. I mean, the, the, the attitudes of the cops that you worked with towards people in the, with the seven D the district you worked in, it's pretty nasty sometimes. Yeah. And it depended on the, on the officer, obviously, but, but no, I, I think, um, as you know, I've worked earlier in my career in places where there are just horrific atrocities unfolding, you know, places like um, Kosovo and Sierra Leone during civil war and um, Northern Uganda and Lord's resistance army atrocities and, and have also studied societies where things go really, really, really wrong, you know, um, and one of the key things that can pave the way for real atrocities is, is dehumanization, you know, the, the sort of division into us, us's versus them's and each group dehumanizes the other. And, and I do think that the way we talk about policing and the way we talk about crime in this country 
um, there's a lot of dehumanizing that goes on on both sides, you know, that night. And I do quote some officers um, who I worked with and some were wonderful, some were absolutely wonderful. Some were terrible and some were sort of half wonderful and half terrible. But, you know, I quote some officers saying things like, you know, these people are fucking animals. Um, um, on the other hand, you know, there are people who will say, you know, racist pig when they see a police officer go by. And, and, and both of those, you know, whenever you get groups that are coming up with language that dehumanizes the other, it's a danger, it's a dangerous situation, you know, and, and those things can kind of feed off each other while they're dehumanizing me. So I'll dehumanize them some more. Um, and, and just in general, I mean, I think we live in a society where everybody loves these sort of binary opposites um, and there's not a huge amount of room for a nuance. Um, you know, so depending on where you start, you're either saying, oh, the police are underappreciated, self-sacrificing heroes. I'm not gonna hear a word against them, back the blue. Or you're saying the police are a bunch of brutal racist thugs and I won't hear a word in their favor. You know, it's absolutely outrageous that people support police in any way. We need to abolish them. And, you know, whenever I hear that kind of binary opposition, I always think, okay, um, neither of those can be quite right. You know, there, there's gotta be a kernel of truth in both of them. And there's gotta be a whole lot of other stuff tangled up together in the middle. And that, that's what I set out to find.